We're going to continue our look at the afterlife. Uh, last week, those of you that were here know that we talked about kind of the darker side of the afterlife. We talked about hell and what the scriptures teach us about hell. Uh, today, we're going to look at the flip side. What do the scriptures teach us about heaven? So we're, we're like last week, we're going to be anchored in a few places, or in one place rather, in Revelation 21 and 22 for the most part. But we're going to be looking at various passages uh, throughout the Bible that deal with the topic of heaven. So first thing that I want to think about as we get into this topic is just the question of do you long for heaven? And whenever I think about this particular question, I think about this discussion uh, that we had in high school. And I went to a Christian high school and I was kind of in this Christian bubble uh, for most of my life, I guess I still kind of am. But, <laughs> but uh, anyway, at that time, uh, it was commonplace to discuss theology and different topics. And so I remember one time we were talking, I don't know if it was specifically about heaven uh, or the Lord's return, but something along those lines. And I remember a, a classmate of mine uh, saying, I think quite truthfully, but I don't think she really understood the gravity of what she was saying, is why well, I don't think I, I want... Christ to return until I get married, until I start a family, until I, and a lot of people think that way, especially younger people. I think if you were to ask a room full of teenagers, uh, there might be some who would piously say, oh no, I long for Christ's return, I long to go to heaven. But there's kind of this, this idea with a lot of us of, that'll be great eventually, but right now I want to do this, and I have this goal, and this aspiration, and I want to take care of that. But I think oftentimes the way this, this question is answered, I guess incorrectly, if we do not long for heaven, is we don't fully understand what heaven is and what it means and what the scriptures teach us and tell us about heaven. Uh, it is just glorious beyond description for the reasons that we'll get into here shortly. You know, and, and I thought even this week as I was preparing this, uh, it was a rough week for me. It was a rough week uh, at the mission and a lot of crazy stuff going on, been very busy. Um, and so I thought, boy, yeah, I long for heaven. <laughs> and it wasn't so much that I want to die, but it's like I just want out of this craziness. I want to have peace and calm. And, and, it, and it, that's also a common thing. We think, well, I just want I want everything to be calm. I want all my problems to go away. I just want a relief from the stress of life. And, and especially in the midst of a difficult circumstance, we can think that way too. Of Boy, I just, I can't wait till Christ comes back. But do we really understand what that means and what are the implications of that? And in trying to tackle a topic this immense, there are a number of verses, even after this was all said and done, that came to mind. Some I was still reading stuff even last night, like, oh, I should have put that one. So there's inevitably going to be some verses that apply to this that are not in there, but it's, there's just no way to encompass everything in a short message. But as we did last week, uh, I want to make a distinction of terms. Uh, there are not as many different terms as when we talked about hell. There is a lot of biblical words uh, that are used for hell and the lake of fire and all those different things. But there are a few that I think we need to make a distinction of. This is another one of those things and this issue that you, you may have come across, and if not, you, you inevitably will. As you study um, 
a minor part of Scripture, and as the, the next one we look at here, that of paradise, you're going to find that whatever you believed and you look into it, there's going to be a lot of different opinions and different thoughts. And this is not so black and white as I imagined it would be. Okay, I'm going to look this up and do a study on this, and I'm going to put down some verses, and then I'm going to look at some commentaries, and oh my goodness, there's a lot of different viewpoints on this. And so I really wrestled with, okay, what, what, do, I, what do I do with this, this idea of paradise in particular? How do I uh, come to terms with this? And so there, there's basically two main viewpoints. There's the viewpoint which I'm going to take and teach from that paradise uh, it was a place within the compartment of Hades, as we talked about last week, where those uh, believers in Old Testament times, and again, Old Testament times prior to Christ's death and resurrection, where they would go until Christ rose again. That's a view. That's the view, again, I'm going to be teaching from. The other view is that paradise is just synonymous with heaven, uh, that when they died in the Old Testament times or they, we die today, or in the future, we all go to the same place, that of heaven. So we're going to look at some scriptures here. And I realize that we looked at this one last week, and I know it's a longer section of scripture. But for this purpose, I want to kind of shift our focus away from last week as we looked at this from the viewpoint of Hades, or, or the, the bad part of this area. We're, we're going to kind of switch gears and switch our focus to that of paradise now, the opposite side of it. So I'm going to read through this here. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus covered with sores who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. And by the way, that word is sometimes translated as paradise or you get the old King James that translates it Abraham's bosom, uh, but we don't say that too much anymore. The rich man also died and was buried, and in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. So you see the contrast here quite clearly. Lazarus is not in anguish. He is at peace. He is with other believers, most notably Abraham here. Uh, There's apparently water there in contrast to the flames of Hades. Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here. That's a key word too, that word comfort. And you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. Now remember this verse later. We'll come back to this concept here. But he said to them, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. 
All right, so this, you see that contrast between those two viewpoints, uh, or between those two areas, rather, that of Hades and that of paradise. So paradise is the place of comfort, the place of, you know, the, the cool water versus the hot flames, the place of uh, peace rather than a place of anguish. Another uh, famous verse on this, Jesus is on the cross. And he is dying on the cross. One of the thieves rejects him. The other thief uh, believes. And so Jesus says to him, uh, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Uh, Contrary to what uh, some false teachers today would teach, Jesus did not go to hell and suffer in hell. I've heard some pretty crazy ideas there that Jesus was was tortured by Satan and the demons, and all this stuff is just made up from I don't know where, because it's certainly not in Scripture. Jesus tells us quite clearly here, and specifically the thief on the cross, that you will be with me today in paradise. I am going there to paradise. And then one more passage on this topic. Ephesians 4, 8 through 10. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, speaking of Jesus here, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean that, but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Now this passage in particular is one that is uh, debatable as to its exact meaning. Uh, but I, I took it as one, especially going back to verse 8 there, uh, that Jesus went to paradise and then left paradise with those that were there and took them to heaven. This was a common view that I grew up with, and different theologians would take that view. Others would take another view. Um, But that's the idea of paradise in the Bible. So a place where the Old Testament saints went to wait until Christ had died and rose again, and then they went to heaven. A place uh, not like purgatory, and we discussed that last week as well, Uh, but a place where they went until Christ had actually temporarily paid for their sins and rose again from the dead. So that in contrast to heaven, uh, and I realize we're talking about heaven in general, but this is more of what happens today. If we were to die today as believers, where do we go? And obviously our body stays here on earth, but our spirit goes somewhere. And so let's look at a few passages here, uh, both from Paul says, yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. And so what we know as believers is that we are going to be with Jesus. We're going to be with him. And where is Jesus? Well, we know that he ascended to the right hand of the Father in heaven. We see that in the passages that talk about his ascension. We see that uh, when Stephen was being martyred, and he saw Jesus at the right hand of the Father. And also, Paul says, Philippians 1, 23, I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. And so, one thing that is interesting, and we'll, we'll talk about this more as we get into it, is heaven as we know it today, heaven. The descriptions of it are largely absent. There are a few things that are said, but the main focus of heaven is that we are there with God, that we are there with Christ. And and again, we'll get back to that here shortly. Another distinction uh, that we would make is that of the New Jerusalem that we see in uh, Revelation, I was going to say Genesis, but Revelation 21 
and 22. And again, this is another topic that there are various interpretations on. Uh, the, the entire book of Revelation, there are various interpretations on, but it, I can't teach all of them. So to teach from my particular viewpoint, that which I would go for. And so I believe that the New Jerusalem is speaking of a future place. So after all of the events of the tribulation, after Satan's rebellion, after the millennium, after everything, here we have eternity where we are with uh, Christ, we are with God, and here is the new Jerusalem, uh, this immense city that comes down from heaven where God lives with men. And in a few minutes, we'll, we'll give a more detailed description of the new Jerusalem. But that is a, a future place. So who's in the new Jerusalem now? Well, probably nobody. But that is a place where we will live with God, where we will be with him. All right, let's look at some things that heaven is not. Uh, clear up some misconceptions that often come up with this. Uh, or at least, uh, maybe not a misconception, but a, a misfocus. We're focusing on something other than what it truly is. And so I think one of the big things is heaven is not simply a place to see departed saints. So rather it's, well, I want to go see Paul, and I want to see Moses, and I want to see uh, my grandma, and I want to see, you know, and will they be there as believers? Yes, they, they will be there. Uh, we see evidence of that one in particular. Jesus says, I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. So I'm not at all trying to say that we won't see our loved ones in heaven. We will. But again, that's not the focus of heaven. If, if all we are longing for with heaven is I finally get to see this famous person from scripture or this famous person from church history, or I finally get to see my relatives, that is a very small part of what heaven is all about. And so we don't want our focus to be that. Um, let's look at another misconception. Heaven is also not a place to be idle. I think we, we think of that uh, description of heaven again. We don't want to get our theology from cartoons or the far side or different things like that. But I always think of that when I, when I think of these things. Well, you're, you're sitting on a cloud and you have a halo and you're strumming a harp and you're bored out of your skull. And if that was truly heaven, that would be horribly boring where we, we just sit there and we strum a harp and we gaze around and we, you know, we, you see a lot of these descriptions of heaven, especially in the secular world, that it's just, there's nothing to do. You're just hanging out. And, but that's not the biblical description of heaven. Um, we see in this one passage in particular here, Revelation 22, it says, Through the middle of the street of the city also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Now, although this doesn't explicitly, explicitly rather state it in this verse, Who's taking care of these trees? Who's pruning them? Who's at least taking the fruit off of the tree? Somebody's got to be doing that in the next verse as well. Uh, no longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. Who are the servants? Well, that's, that's us. Other translations say his, his servants will, they don't use the word worship, but will work or other things. But the, the idea is that we will be there doing something. And we see in Scripture, too, that work was not part of the curse. Work got harder as a result of curse and as a result of sin. But the order of things is important there. That God gave work in the garden to Adam 
uh, and Eve. They were to tend the garden, to cultivate it, to take care of it. So when we go into eternity, we're just not going to be hanging around, doing nothing, and kind of floating around. But no, we'll, we'll have something to do. Uh, we will rule with him. And there's different passages. Again, I didn't, just don't have time to get into everything. But we'll have something to do. And so, like I said, too, it, just, it will not be boring. How could it be boring? If we are there, even if, even if it was, the focus wasn't on God, which it clearly is, that's like a whole separate thing altogether. But how could it be boring if you're up there and you've got millions of different Christians to talk to? And not just the, the famous ones, but all the different people that your paths have crossed and all the people that you've never even heard of or talked about in Africa or China or Australia or somebody from 5,000 years ago. I mean, it, that, how could that be boring? Just to hear the stories and to hear what happened to them and how God has worked in their life. And, and not to mention the fact that we will be with God. And that, that can never be boring. He is eternal and infinite. And we can spend billions of years there with him and never scratch the surface of his infinite greatness. So there will be far from boring. Heaven is also not a vacation destination. I have to mention this when we mention heaven because this inevitably comes up. Um, What I mean by that is you can't go to heaven, check it out, come back to earth, and write a book. It doesn't work that way. Uh, When you see different characters in scripture that have viewed either the throne of God or have viewed heaven, uh, really with the exception of John in in Revelation, there's not much that is said. Paul's idea of heaven, or when he went to heaven and he describes it, um, he, he, he doesn't even say anything. He doesn't even know what to say. How could you explain being with God face to face. There's no way to say that. And anything else you explained would just pale in comparison to what heaven really is anyway. So these ideas of people that have supposedly died and went to heaven and came back again are all just utter fabrications. It's an idea of bringing new revelation or new information into our understanding of, of heaven. And really, frankly, as Christians, if we don't believe what the Bible tells us, what Jesus tells us about heaven, We're not going to believe what some kid tells us about heaven or some other person tells us about heaven. Um, And there's lots of verses on this too, but just one on this. This could be a whole other sermon in and of itself. Jesus said, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. There's nobody making trips back and forth talking about what's going on there. And and even if there were, which there's not, uh, the the accounts are very contradictory and they're all across the board and the focus is always off of God and onto other things, uh, relatives and the Holy Spirit being blue and all, I mean, just all sorts of nonsense in those accounts. <clears throat> and lastly, and probably most importantly, heaven is not about us. It's not. And yes, we'll be there, but heaven is not where we go and all our needs are met and now we're all taken care of and we are pampered and taken care of for all eternity and angels are there ready to to bring us another drink and to give us a massage. And I mean, I don't know what people think about heaven, but it's not about us. It's not about our comfort. It's not about our well-being. It's just not, that's not the focus. And, And it is so easy for us as Christians to think about heaven that way. And like I said at the beginning, we have a rough 
week. We have a rough time. We're going through a difficult situation. And, and our desire is to escape from that and just be taken care of and pampered and all our problems gone forever. But that is not the focus of heaven. That is not what we need to be looking at and thinking about and focusing on is a relief from all of those things. So let's look at the, the positive side here. What, so what is heaven? What should we be thinking about when we think about heaven? Well, number one is that heaven is eternal. Now, I can't wrap my mind around that. <clears throat> None of us can. Eternity goes on forever and ever and ever without end. You know, some people say that there will be no time in heaven I don't see that in Scripture. I don't get that. I don't see how that could be logically even possible for us who are in time. Now, God is outside of time. He's not bound by time, but we are. And so it's eternal in the sense that it goes on and on and on forever without end. You know, even the passages that talk about the trees uh, that that continue to bear fruit and and different hints that, that things will go on as we understand our concept of time but yet without ending. And then that's the biggest you know, issue that we have with time as people. You think about it as parents, how quickly time goes, and your kids go from babies and diapers to out of the house within minutes, it seems like. And boy, it's, it's true for me. I think about that with time really accelerated rapidly once we had kids, and, and now Jenna's going into high school. I'm like, wait, what? No, no, what? I mean, it, just, it goes so fast. And you think about a, a great vacation that you had or a good time that you had. And, boy, I wish this could last forever. And it goes quickly. And everything has that ending, has that finality to it of now i got to get back to the normal uh, flow of things. But the idea that heaven is eternal, there is no end to this existence. There is no end to, uh, we don't have to go back to being away from the presence of God. We don't have to go back to life as we know it. But this will continue on forever. Revelation 22.5 says, And night will be no more, for they will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Forever and ever with Him. You know, we looked at that eternal side of hell, and that is grim and dark and sad, but this is the, the flip side of it that, it, that hell has to exist as long as heaven does. And heaven is eternal, and hell must also be eternal. And so in this sense, this is a very comforting thing. You don't ever have to leave. You don't ever have to go. And I remember, you know, difficult times in life in the past, and you'd go and stay with family or something. They'd say, you stay as long as you want. You just, you stay here, and we'll take care of you. But I'm not still there. (laughs) You know, things eventually have to come to an end, but that's never going to be the case when we finally get to heaven. Heaven is also perfect. I don't get perfect. You ever try to think about a world? What would this world look like if it was perfect? If it was without the taint of sin? And that's a very difficult thing to think about. What, what businesses and jobs would cease to exist and be obsolete if the world was perfect? And what, what would it be like? And it's really hard for us to wrap our minds around that. I don't think we completely can, being in our fallen state. But we know that heaven is absolutely perfect. Revelation 21.4 tells us that He, God, will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And again, the idea of passing away 
permanently, forever, completely, totally gone. Now this, this passage is, is debatable too. I guess every passage of Scripture is debatable to a point. Uh, but the idea is that when we get to heaven, will we be sad and God will comfort us? Or is this the idea that when we get to heaven, we won't even experience sadness anymore? I don't know. In either case, the, the end result is the same. We won't experience any more sadness. We won't experience death. And what is death, really? I mean, it is a separation. There will no longer be that separation. We will be there forever without ever being separated from the loved ones that are there, without ever being separated from God. There is that permanence there. No mourning, because again, there's no sin. There's no death. What do you mourn over? Everything is perfect. No crying, no pain anymore. No pain at all. No physical pain, of course, but no emotional pain, no sadness. No, you think about all the burdens that we carry that we don't even think about, that one day all those things will be gone and removed. The weight of our own sin, the weight of someone else's sin, gone forever when we are finally there with him. Heaven is also described as beautiful. And here specifically, we're talking about our eternal home, that new Jerusalem. I'm going to read through and look at this passage here. Oh, I forgot. I, this technology keeps throwing me off. Okay, we're going to look at this first. This is 1 Corinthians 2 9, where Paul says, But as it is written, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. And I think that's one of the best descriptions. Of heaven. How can you explain heaven? Well, you can't. Imagine the best possible existence, okay? It's better. You know, no matter what we can come up with, no matter what we can think, that's what God has in store for us. Better than anything we can think of. Better than anything we can imagine. And even with this description that we are given in Revelation 21 and 22 of the new Jerusalem, I can't wrap my mind around this completely. I don't think any of us can. So we'll read through this and talk about it briefly here. Then it came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. So here's this great city coming down that John can't even adequately explain the beauty of it. It had a great high wall with 12 gates, and at the gates 12 angels, and on the gates the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. And we could go into great detail picking apart every little thing, and what does this mean or what could this mean, but let's just kind of soak in the physical description of this, this great high wall. Now, we don't, we don't have to worry about, at this stage, enemies coming and, and besieging us or attacking us. But it's, the, I think, that idea of complete and total protection. Where we don't have to worry about any of those things anymore because we are protected there with God. It goes on to say, on the east, three gates. On the north, three gates. On the south, three gates. On the west, three gates. There's access to this city from everywhere. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And you see that, I think that's interesting too. You have the 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 apostles, the, the, the completeness of God's plan, both in the Old and the New Testament, the people of Israel versus the church and all of them now together for eternity. 
And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies four square, its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod 12,000 stadia. It's like 1,500 miles. Its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits by human measurements, which is also an angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold, like clear glass. So not to get bogged down in interpretation, suffice it to say the city is immense, massive. It will be adequate room for every believer who has ever lived and ever will live in a city this size. Uh, there, there's no need to wear, well, I don't know if there's going to be room for me. There's plenty of room for everybody. This city is immense. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold, like clear glass. So the, these precious minerals, and the reason they're precious minerals to us today is because they're rare. And we don't build cities out of gold because there's not that much gold. But in this case, it's going to be just this amazing place that even precious stones and precious minerals from we would look at today are just commonplace there. Foundation of the wall of the city was adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jasoneth, the twelfth amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl. That's a big pearl. That's a big clam. <laughs> that thought always comes to me too. Um, but this, I mean, we don't have anything like, how can you even build or think about something of this magnitude and this opulence of this beauty? And the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. And I think this verse more than anything is what people think of when they think of heaven. The pearly gates, the streets of gold. You know, it comes from this verse here, verse 21. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. What's the point of having a temple? God is there with us. There's no need to offer sacrifices anymore. There's no need to have any sort of intermediaries like priests. Uh, That's all done and over with. God himself is there. Verse 23 says, And the city had no need of the sun or moon to shine on it. Now, we don't know if that means the sun and moon are gone in eternity. They're just, they're gone. Uh, it doesn't say that. It just says there's no need of it. And why? For the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. God's glory will emanate. That's what I think of when, you know, all the way back to the beginning in Genesis, and said, let there be light. Well, he hadn't created the sun yet. Where did this light come from? It came from himself. God himself emanates light in his glory and his radiance. And so here in the future, when all things are restored and made right, God himself is that light. There is no darkness. That's an amazing thing to think about. And again, there's so many potential bunny trails here to go down, but uh, no matter how well lit a room can be, there can always be more light. There's always shadows. There's always corners. There's always little elements of darkness. And, uh, but in heaven, there, that is gone. There is no shadows, there is no darkness, because we have the perfect light of God himself. Continuing on, by its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. Again, why? Well, there's no darkness anymore. And night is what God set up for us so we can have a natural rhythm of sleep, of rest. There's no need to sleep or rest. We'll be perfect 
Our entire existence will be a rest with him. And so things will continue like that. Again, that idea of eternal, there is no ending. There's, oh, let's pick this up tomorrow. Well, that doesn't matter. It just continues on forever. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. So only believers. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. So again, that idea of going back to Genesis, that we were barred from the tree of life. We were denied access to the tree of life. But now in heaven, we'll have ample access to the tree of life and to its fruit. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. And again, we could spend a lot of time delving into each part of that, but that that's an amazing description of heaven. I, I, I can't even begin to think about what, what is this going to look like. Streets of gold and pearly gates and all these different stones and this idea of no light, no darkness anywhere. It, it's going to be amazing. Heaven is also our home. We are just strangers here on earth as believers. Our true home awaits us there in heaven. If you feel out of place in this world and disconnected from this world at times, that's because it's true. That's because our true home is there in heaven. I love this passage in John 14. It says, Let not your hearts be troubled, as Jesus speaking here. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? I think about that, you know, Jesus is obviously doing more in heaven now, but one of the things he went to do between his ascension and his second coming is to prepare a place for us, to prepare this place we just read about in Revelation for us one day. He goes on, excuse me, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself that where I am, you may be also, and you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. All right, what, what is Jesus saying here? Yes, he is building a place for us, preparing a place for us, a real place for us that we will go to and be with him one day. But I think the greater meaning is that we will be there with him. We will be there with him. You ever think about that idea? And if you have moved a lot, um, I think you understand this concept that home is no longer just a place or a particular house or an apartment, but home is wherever you are with your family. And that's home. And so you, you can move here, you can move there, you can go there, go here. But as long as you're with your family, you're home. And I think that that concept, but on a much grander scale, is what Jesus is talking about here. You will be there with me. That is what makes it home. 
You will be with me forever. Don't worry about this. I'm preparing a place for you, but you will be there with me. And that's what makes it home, is being with Jesus. And again, heaven is about God. Everything is about God. Everything is for God's glory or should be for his glory. Everything that is not is sinful and opposed to him. And so heaven most definitely is about him. It's about God. It's about bringing glory to him eternally, worshiping him forever. You see those descriptions in Revelation of the angels that worship him over and over and over forever. And we'll have that opportunity to worship him forever and ever and ever for eternity. Uh, It's all about him and it's all about his glory. And we see here on earth that because of the taint of sin, we are distracted by other things and we chase after other things and we don't always give God his full glory, but that one day will all be past and we will be there forever with him to give him the glory that he deserves. And we see this here. Revelation 21, that I saw a new heaven, a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. The sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Now, what's the focus of that? It's a a new Jerusalem. It's God. He will come and be with us. We will be with him. We will be his people. He will be our God. There will be no more separation. There will be no more confusion as the Israelites always had throughout the Old Testament. You're going to follow God now, follow Baal. Now, follow God now, follow whatever. And they continually followed idols. And and we're no different. Our devotion is often divided, but there will come this point where God will get all of the glory he deserves. He will get all of our attention, all of our devotion forever, and we will readily give it to him. So a couple of things I want to leave us with here as we wrap up this morning. Um, you know, a big part of heaven and being in heaven is being with God and worshiping him there. And so if we're here on earth and we do not want to be with God. We do not want to worship him. If the idea of, of spending time in heaven worshiping God forever is like, oh, I remember thinking that when I was a kid, especially, you know, you, you go to church and the church I grew up in was very traditional. And, uh, you know, the, the people outside of the service were nice and warm, but in the service, it was very, let's just do our thing and go through the motions. And it was a little dry. The singing was a little dry. I remember the the worship leader was a nice guy, but an older guy that, well, he wasn't the best singer. And so the idea of singing songs like that for eternity in a setting like that did not appeal to me as a child. That I don't, that I don't know if I want to do that for all eternity. But I think when we really understand what true worship is and the idea of just being with God forever, that should excite us more than anything. And it's not based on anything we have here on earth. No matter how great of an experience you could have at a church or you know, I've been to some conferences that were pretty amazing, just the, the worship of all these thousands of people together. And I'm sure you've had experiences like that too, but that will all pale in comparison to being with him there. And so while we're here on earth, no, it's not going to be the same as it will be in heaven one day, but we have the chance here to worship him 
and to praise him and to be with him, to spend time with him as we read and study his word, and not just in church, but on our own, as we spend time in prayer talking to him. And and if we don't do that now, why are we going to want to do it then? We should have that desire now here on earth to spend time in worship of God. And heaven really is existence as God intended it to be, that perfect communion, perfect fellowship with him. But we should long to go to heaven. And we should long to go to heaven not just as an escape from our problems, not just a chance to see those loved ones that have gone before us or those famous people from church history. We should long to go to heaven to be in perfect communion with God. There will be no more confusion. There will be no more sin. There will be no more hindrances to our relationship with him. That should be our motivation. That is what we should long for as Christians is to fully be in the presence of God in ways that we cannot begin to understand here and and to just marvel in, in the glory and the awesomeness of his presence forever and ever. And it will never be boring. We will never be idle. We will never for a second think about, boy, I wish I had something else to do. That's the way we are as, as people, but, but there it'll be perfect forever and ever with him for all eternity. Boy, that should excite us. It excites me, and I hope it excites you as well. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this reminder from your word. And Lord, while we're really just scratching the surface of this huge topic of the afterlife and what awaits us here when our time on earth is done, Lord, we know some important truths that if we accept what you've done for us on the cross, we can spend eternity with you. And Lord, that is an amazing thing to think about, to truly be in your presence forever. And we have no idea how great that will be, but Lord, we thank you that you care about us enough, that you love us enough, despite our sin, despite our rebellion, that you have prepared this amazing place for us. Lord, may we look in eager anticipation to spending eternity with you, and not for any other reason but just you. Lord, we thank you for all that you do for us and all that you will do for us. In your name we pray. Amen.